All right, good morning. You know, there are a lot of times where you're headed in one direction during a week and things happen and you got to go back to another direction. That's this week. Had a lot of uh, dramatic events occur over the last week and weekend. And so before we start anything, would you join with me? We just want to pray for those families and friends that have been um, injured or killed and just the comforting in our nation and all the things that are going on right now. So we're just going to start there. Would you join with me? Thank you. Father, we come before you and we are just honestly overwhelmed burdened by the amount of pain and suffering that has been caused in, uh, with what happened in Las Vegas. And we lift up the families and, our, and the friends and all those that we know and, and those beyond who have been affected by this. That God, you would be with them, that you would comfort hearts. God, that you'd allow the church to step in and be a mighty force for good and for um, care. God, as the memorials go on and as things happen, would you bring comfort through community and allow the stories to be told and let the heroes shine and God, just those who have been lost, let us just hurt and mourn knowing this is not how it's supposed to be. But God, we, um, we entrust ourselves to you and ask for your aid this morning as we can contemplate, dive in and move forward in this um, text and in our conversations today. May you be glorified in them as we struggle through these various pieces, and you be um, just lifted up. And we all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we are headed in one direction this week. I was looking at the text and examining John chapter 20. We've been planned out for this for about a year or so to hit this verse at this time. And events transpired over the weekend that began to really kind of fall into a, a pattern. It seemed like anywhere I went, somebody was talking about somebody that they knew or somebody that they had, uh, had known that was at this particular concert in Las Vegas. Um, for me, uh, for instance, in my family, we have a kind of a, a, a line that runs down that we're uh, texting one another from. And as it came out, um, one of my cousin's client's son was killed there in Las Vegas who lived here in, uh, lived here in Corona and then found out more than another friend of theirs had been injured and shot and was never going to walk again. Starting to talk to people here about old students from my youth ministry who were over there and are fine but were running and saw some scary things. Um, talking to one of our lead ushers in first service and his next door neighbor was at the concert and would just happened to be getting pizza at the wrong, at the, the right side of the, uh, uh, away from where the gunfire was hitting on the left side where they'd been the first two days. Just story after story after story. And then you turn on your radio and you can't help but begin to hear all the conversation about who this gunman was and what's wrong with this guy and what psychological ailment he must have had or, you know, what's wrong with the laws that we have or the security at the, um, at, at the hotels and all of this stuff just is being thrown at us at the same time while people are trying to grieve and mourn and figure out just where it's at, what's going on in their souls and the mess that we have, that we see in I just felt like, you know what, it's, it's amazing that we're in this text because I feel like we can address those very issues this morning and not have to find ourselves um, distracted from working through John, yet at the same time see that God speaks to these matters. God talks and speaks clearly to what rises in the middle of these moments because the temptations are huge to stand and stare at God and say, God, why would you do this to us? Why would you do this to me? Why would you allow this. Why didn't you stop the gunman? If you have the power to do so, why didn't you just plan something different? You know, some people maybe feel like I'm just done with God and slamming the door on him because the evil seems so big. 
Others are, are just closing the doors in other places. But the bottom line is what most people are suffering from at this moment is just a generation of fear that has gone on. And you can feel it. People are scared. People are concerned. They're concerned about their children, their loved ones themselves. And that fear is what I want to address this morning as we begin to get into this. In fact, where we're going is here in the book of John. We're in John chapter 20. And I want to just kind of address, this is where we were headed. And I think this is pretty cool as you guys can open up to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, they're available under the seats and you can pull it out there. Otherwise, pull it up on your device or join us in, a, in, a, in, in your own Bible. But John chapter 20 is where we've been planning on being. I just feel like what God is doing is kind of set up a perfect equation to have a conversation about this today. This has been, been planned years and for a year out now, and we're landing at this time now, and that's kind of startling to me as I look at the text. But John, for those of you who haven't, uh, who don't know about John, John, the book of John is a biography written by one of Jesus' followers, and he is talking about who Jesus is and what he has done. The greatest things that he feel like were most important to let everybody know that his leader. Jesus had done in life and what it, what it meant and the deeper meaning that was involved in him. So he's dedicated this this book of a, of his the biography of Jesus to these deeper thoughts to help us come to be one people who follow Jesus himself. And so as he gets into this, he has just finished narrating the culmination of the entire book. Here Jesus has got run-ins with different leadership and different people throughout every single section and every single kind of chapter. And now it's culminated to where he has just been crucified on the cross. John has watched this happen. He's watched his leader die. He's watched this brutal, horrible, horrific event occur in his face. I mean, this was happening in a general sense all over the Roman Empire. If you lived in, in the time period and you were near a city, it wasn't likely that you'd never seen a crucified body. It was very likely you had. Because Rome liked to take people, and if they were enemies of the state, they would nail you to this cross, not to get you to recant, not to get you to line up with Rome, but just to torture you so the last days of your life were the worst ones you'd ever had. It was Rome's way of showing their power and it was another way that humans have revealed our evil. And in the face of this killing, this murder of their Lord Jesus, John had found himself freaked out and scared, had hidden away all on the Saturday after the, de after the death of Jesus, that Friday evening and Saturday. And finally, Sunday morning, they were disturbed once again by the rumor that, uh, that um, from uh, one of the women who had come and told them, hey, the tomb is empty. And last week, Jared brought us through that subject. And we looked at that and examined those passages and the faith that had come to Mary and the faith that had come to John and to Peter. But not all the disciples are there. And so Mary finally comes to the disciples and says, I've seen the Lord. He's alive. I've witnessed this. This is amazing. And so now we pick up in the middle of this drama because we know from other books, they have now been accused of stealing the body of Jesus. They've been accused of, of trying to start a rebellion. And they are scared to death of what uh, Rome and what the Jewish leadership is going to do to them. And so we pick up here in verse 18. We'll just summarize quickly that Mary Magdalene went to the, announce to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples we're glad when they saw the Lord. Now, I'm going to back. I want you to look down at your notes for a second because what's going on here fits very well. 
Notice what it says just prior in this verse. It says, the doors being locked. Note that. They have gathered together. Ten of them are together. Mary has said, hey, I've seen the Lord. They're freaked out. And they gathered in one room, barred the doors. <clears throat> For what reason? For fear of the Jewish leadership. For fear. They've locked the doors. Because of what they saw with Jesus, because they saw the power of what they could do to Jesus, couldn't they do that to him? Couldn't the same threat be on them? And so now here they are with the doors locked in fear. Sounds like a lot of people that I know right now. Because of the things that have transpired, whether they be hurricanes, whether they be gun shootings, whether they be Sandy Hook or Las Vegas, San Bernardino, or these kind of things, there are a lot of people who are living their lives in massive fear today. Because when we see human evil, when the reality of human evil, our evil, is, is in our face, it causes fear. A real fear, a visceral fear, a fear that leads you and me to fear death. You see, it's not so much that we're afraid of being hurt. We, we, we do lots of things that could hurt us that we should be afraid of, like cooking. Cooking is not safe. Just, just watch little kids try to cook and you'll see. It's a learned behavior and, and it's not safe. Even for me, I still touch things that are hot and it doesn't feel good. But I'm not scared of cooking. I'm not necessarily scared of heights. I'm not necessarily scared of being in close places. But they can scare us. These things can make us fearful. What you're usually scared of that really causes you to lock doors and be afraid, that causes you to buy extra deadbolts and th put things on your home, is the fear of death. If someone's going to harm you and kill you, Someone's going to end the way your life is going. Kill your children, hurt your children, do something so devastating their life might as well be over. These are the kind of terms we use. In the middle of a shooting like this, we don't sit around and say, we, we're, we still feel so bad that these people died, but at least they're not suffering like the people who got wounded. We don't say stuff like that. We say it's horrific these people have died, their lives were cut short, and these people escaped death. Why do we say that stuff? They, they, they just, it just they, they narrowly escaped death. Oh, they, just, they were wounded and it's horrible and it's awful. I'm not trying to limit that, but we use language about death because death is the finality. Death is the end. Death is the scariest thing. Every culture, no matter the language, no matter the place we live, no matter what's going on, we fear death. And when death is brought to confront you from human evil, we want to hide and lock the doors. And there's different ways we lock our doors. You're listening enough out there and, and you talk to enough people, the door locking occurs in different ways. The first way that I've seen people lock doors is they do it through, psycholo through psychologizing. That's my word for the day. I don't even know if it's a real word, but I'm going to say it anyway. Psychologizing the, the shooter. This guy's crazy. How many of us have heard that? Only a crazy person shoots up a crowd. And while, yes, I think people who are in those states have got to have something wrong. They're possessed by something. I don't know if it's a mental illness. And I don't know if it helps to say it's a mental illness. Because there are lots of people in this world who have mental illnesses that are not shooting up lots of people. And to just equate that this guy has a mental illness and this is a mental illness problem doesn't make us safe. Although it makes us feel better. We go, well, he has a mental illness that explains why they do this. I would never do something like this because I'm not crazy. Yet stop for a minute and ask yourself the question, would he have thought he was crazy? Probably not. 
Probably thought he was completely sane for the reasons for whatever was going on in his mind. We would have thought he was crazy. But then how do we not know that we're next? If it's about craziness, if it's about somebody having a, a mental disturbance, should we be disturbed that we're disturbed? Because suddenly, how do you not know you're the next shooter if it's about being crazy? You don't know when you'll take that step. You don't know when you'll step down those, well, I'm not like that. I'm a, I'm a good person. Exactly, because it's not about crazy. It's about good and evil. And one of the reasons we do this is we feel like if I can just explain it this way, then, then maybe there's something we can do to raise a better generation. Maybe there's something we can do to deal with evil in a psychological manner that won't, that we can, we can do something with it because really it's, a, it's really about the second group. And it all falls back to this. When there's evil and human evil gets in our face, you know what we want to do? We want to control it. You notice that? The conversation is quickly moving. It will move away from the motive to the motive of the, of the perpetrator to how can we never let this happen again? And now we were going to legislate. And now we can figure out what, 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 what security systems we need to have. And all this is not bad. I'm not saying it's bad, but it is never going to limit the evil. It's never going to stop the human heart from doing stuff. In fact, Jesus was the one who made this a hallmark of his ministry. As he went about in life, as he dealt with human beings, as he talked to people like you and me, after major disasters and tragedies, because everything in the ancient world felt a lot like we feel this week. In fact, we're blessed as Americans that we feel this way because it happens so infrequently in comparison to other countries on, on the planet. And we have this blessed reality we live in. In the ancient world, it was not the case. There was constantly fights and Lots and lots of people killed weekly and monthly because it was just constant rebellion against Rome, trying to get free, all kinds of wars, all kinds of things. And so in the midst of that world, Jesus is walking around. And you know what's interesting? He says, you can't control it. And he was talking to the control people. I mean, they were the savants of control. These guys had it figured out. The Jewish people knew the human heart and they had all the rules you could possibly want to control the human heart. And the Pharisees were the experts. If you could have anybody tell you how to draw new lines and expand the boundaries that control human sin, it was the Pharisees. Oh, they could figure out how to expand any issue at any state. And so as they did this, Jesus begins to confront them in Matthew chapter 18. Or, and, and I want to show you this verse. Matthew 15, verses 1 through, 1 through 18. I've been distracted. As you guys turn there, I'll tie my shoe, and then we'll go back. Um, I don't want to trip. That would be embarrassing. And so Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he stares at them down. These guys have all these rules and they're all ticked off at Jesus. They come up to him and they say, um, Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Now that sounds gross to us because we wash our hands before we eat because of what gets on our hands and the diseases. We're a germ-based society. They didn't have a knowledge of germs at the time period. They washed their hands because they felt, they believed that if they weren't washed correctly, if they had touched something that was, def that was, uh, that was going to separate them from God, they needed to wash their hands so that they could cleanse the ritual impurity away from themselves. This was religious reasons. They could not go into the temple with dirty hands or uncleanness on their body. So they washed constantly to make sure that that uncleanness would never get on them so that they could enter the temple and worship God. And so as they did this, they were like, wait a minute, you guys, you're eating with defiled food. If it goes inside you, then you're defiled. You can't, go, you can't worship God. And Jesus is a little like, are you kidding me? 
So he flips it on them. Verse 3 says, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his mother or father must surely die. But you guys say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what, would you, what you would have gained from me is given to God, then he doesn't need to honor his father. And so for the sake of your tradition, you make void the word of God you, you, you break God's rules by creating new rules. So their rule was, hey, you can give every, you got to give everything to God. And because you gave it all to God, you got to tell mom and dad when they're old and they can't go out in the field and work it anymore or run the market anymore and they didn't have social security. You got to tell mom and dad, sorry, we don't have any money for you. Give it all to God. He's like, that's ridiculous. God told you to honor your parents, told you to take care of your parents in your old age. That's the point. And so you legislate away one sin so that you can produce another in fact, he goes on to say, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. In verse 18 he, or 17, he repeats, do you not see that whoever, whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. And he gets into a list. But out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, fault with, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. It doesn't break you away from God. To eat with unwashed hands is these things that come out of us. It's the human evil that's the real problem. You can't legislate the heart away. You can't put washings in these things to kill the human heart. In fact, later, the apostle Paul, who would build churches after he saw the resurrected Jesus, he would write to one of his churches and say, there's these great things you can say, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, do not do this, do not do that. And he says, that's all good looking on the outside, but it has nothing to shape the heart. It has nothing to stop the evil of the flesh. And so we think that if we could just figure out the rules, if we could just figure out what went wrong, then we can build enough rules to stop it. We can legislate our way away from death, and it won't happen. But it's an addiction our society has gotten into. It's the multiplication of laws to limit that. And that's why some of you adults are sitting in car seats today. I'm just kidding. Sure feels like that. I think my wife's like just barely the size that gets out of a car seat. So it's that kind of like, what is going on? But we do these kind of things. We create our rules and we build them up to keep ourselves safer and safer and safer. And honestly, you're never going to legislate your way out of, the, out of the evil of the human heart. And so our, we're, our final resolve, is, I've seen this a lot, is that we just simply, truly lock the doors. Honestly, you've bought more locks for your doors. You're buying security systems for your house. Anybody on this page with me? We, we've done this. We've created this lock system. We lock our cars. We secure our cars. I don't lock my car. If you want to steal my car, please have it. It's not worth anything. It's got a tape deck that doesn't work. If you want that, you're crazy. You know, but some of us, we lock everything because we want to protect it. We're worried about it. We don't want it stolen. We don't want it gone. We have fear. And that's true of the church. Gosh, one of the biggest infections in the church is fear. So that when God says we need to be out there reaching people for his name, we need to be out there caring for people in these settings, we need to do something about this kind of evil, we're like, oh, hold on a second. Let's do church in here. Let's lock the doors. We'll have our private faith. We'll lock the doors. Come on, let's, we'll all sit down. We'll all huddle up together. We'll, we'll have more Bible studies. That's it. 
That's what the church needs, more Bible studies. Then it'll really grow. It'll really change the world. I know we need more entertainment. That's it. Let's get everybody in here. Let's just all get together, lock the doors, keep that world out. That's really what it looks like to me in a lot of angles at a lot of churches. Small churches that grow smaller because what they've done is they've protected themselves out of fear. Out of a desire to lock the doors. Same thing with the world. As we see ourselves locking ourselves in tighter and tighter and tighter quadrants for fear of human evil that is creeping in. And as we lock the doors, it doesn't do anything to stop evil. It only allows it to run. It's like an ostrich sticks its head in the ground, thinks it's safe, but it really doesn't do anything. It just allows it to grow instead of to be confronted. So what is Jesus doing here? What's he saying? We've got these guys. They've locked the door. They're closed inside. They're scared. They don't know what to do. Rome's going to get them because they think, Rome thinks they've stolen the body of Jesus. The Jewish leaders are thinking they're trying to start a rebellion. They're freaked out. And in here, Jesus comes to them. Jesus appears to them, again, back in verse 18 of the book of John, in chapter 20. We read that he has shown up. He appears to them. And then, in that act, he shows them his hands. Now listen as this continues. On the evening of that day, the first of the day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. You see, what he's showing them is the reality of the resurrection overcomes fear. And if you don't have a solid reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have no reason to believe that you are going to be in any way safe in the midst of danger of the human evil. The human evil will get you. Lock your doors, figure out some ways, and hope they don't have blasters. But the bottom line is, you are not going to get away from human evil. Not without a resurrection. See, Jesus shows up, and he doesn't just show up resurrected, like you get this like, knock on the door that's half-baked. It's like, who's that? And open the door, it's like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. He does not look good. Let's get him in here. And they bring him in. He's like, ow, ow, ow. Hi, guys, ow. Everything hurts. Just everything hurts. I'm okay, though. That's not a resurrection. And that's not what they're saying happened. He doesn't limp in like, oh, like, I just made it. I barely survived crucifixion with a spear in his side and his heart burst. No. He's dead. John saw him die on the cross, saw the spear go in, saw the blood and water come out, saw the torture, saw, knew, know what a dead guy looks like, knows that he was wrapped up, knows the tomb he was put in, saw him lying there, saw the grave clothes folded up, and then is saying he had dinner with him that night. I don't know about you, but when some guy says, yeah, I buried him and now I had dinner with him and he came to us when the doors were locked, something is going on. And when Jesus appears and says, look at the wounds, look at, look, look at the scars, what you're seeing is that I've beat death. See, the resurrection allows us to realize there's something beyond death. Death is not the end of us. Death does not mean when you die, you just go into some unconscious state and get assumed into some great ethereal whatever. No, it means that you stay you and you're coming back. In the immortal words of our post-governor, you'll be back, whatever. But Jesus is back. And he shows up. And he says, 
This is what I've been leading you to. This is what I've been drawing you to. I'm drawing you to defeat death, to overcome human evil. And this had to have occurred. Something happened because here you have these guys locked away, hidden in a room. And the next time we'll really see them in the next book, in the book of Acts, they're out preaching on the streets that their Lord is resurrected. The brother of Jesus, James, who's like, my brother's crazy, I don't listen to him, becomes the leader of the church. Why? Because he saw Jesus alive. Paul, a man who wants to persecute and kill the church off, sees Jesus alive, meets him on a road, and comes to realize, I'm wrong, and becomes the propagator of the church. What do we do with that? Why was the body never drug out and thrown onto the ground? There it is. Why would these men be willing to even die for something that if wasn't true, they knew was a lie? Nobody does that. And these men rise up and they say, this man is alive. He overcame death. And because Jesus is alive, it means death is not the end. It means the fear of death has been destroyed. That which bonds all of humanity has been lifted because God says, I love you. I have given you a greater thing. You will come back. You will resurrect. And you will not face judgment. Say, oh, goody, the pastor went into judgment. Isn't God a loving God? I mean, really, does, is he going to judge, guys? If you've ever struggled with judgment, the judgment side of God, today is not one of those days to do that. Stephen Paddock stood in that room, and he shot up a crowd. And then he chose his, to take his own life. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like justice to me. I think that's why we want an accomplice so bad. That's why we want to find somebody else who's involved. We want some justice somewhere. Because what he did in his suicide was he robbed every family member who was injured and every loved one who died and every person who was put through the torture and the trauma of what he did, he robbed them of justice. And I'll tell you what, we're here as Christians and we get to declare to the world that God does not let those things go unpunished. God sees the evil that is, a, that is done. And on the day of judgment, that man will stand before God. And where he thought he escaped, he will face the judge of all the living and all the dead. And he will be found guilty for the crimes by which he committed. And that man will face justly the punishments that God deems right. If God doesn't do that, he's not good. He sure as heck doesn't care. But that's not what the Bible says. God is very clear that God is going to deal with the human evil. He's going to deal with it in that man. He's going to deal with it in Hitler. He's going to deal with it in all of us. For every human being and every crime we've ever escaped and every one that we've ever done, for every human evil that we've been part of, God will deal with one day. And so death is definitely scary because we will then step over a line into the presence of God who will then bring us into judgment. But Jesus says to them, no, I've overcome death. And second, I've overcome the judgment. Because notice his words. He says to them, Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace be with you. He said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Why is he emphasizing this? I mean, it's like Jesus just showing them, like, hey, guys, peace, man. Whoa, that was trippy. I just, like, got crucified. It was amazing. But peace, dudes, it's all good. No, that's not what he's doing. Forgive me. This, I'm not trying to be blasphemous. But the point is, we've messed up the word peace. He's come and he said to them, shalom. Say that word with me. Say shalom. shalom. That word is a powerfully deep word of the Old Testament. 
It is a word which implies that humanity and God have been made reconciled and put right. That the war of man against God has been over. That God and man have been in unity. And that man with man is in perfect harmony. That evil has been dealt with. Sin has been crushed. That humanity is unified once again. And we are right with the world that he has made. That the world doesn't rebel against us, nor do we harm it any longer. But the entire universe with humanity and God are all in harmony together without evil or sin. That's shalom. And he emphasizes it twice. He appears to them and he says, Shalom be with you. Shalom be with you. What does it sound like when everything's in harmony and that there's no more death and, there's, and everything's right? That sounds like what? Our word heaven. That's exactly what it is. What Jesus says is I've opened the way. Peace, heaven, shalom is with you. It's yours now. I have overcome death. You need not fear it any longer. In fact, it can become your friend. It hands you heaven. And we will be back. And when we are back, you do not fear the judgment. I have overcome the judgment. Human evil is dealt with because on the cross, he bore human evil. On the cross, he took the suffering that was rightly ours. And then he gives to all of humanity the same gift that if you would receive his work on the cross, you'd be forgiven of your own evils. And so everyone on this planet is equal. We are all on the same stage, needing the same redemption, needing the same help, the same aid, regardless of what we have done. And God offers it freely, not to those who are better, not to those who are worse, to everyone equally. Because we will all face a judgment. He is that just, and yet he is that loving that he would give it to us freely. And that's all in the resurrection. You see, here's the thing. A lot of people out there today are thinking we're all coming to church just to give ourselves a little happy talk. Oh, God loves you. And, and, and you know what? You don't have to fear because you're going to go to heaven because God loves you. And that's nice. But it doesn't mean anything if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Amen. It is a bunch of pablum, a bunch of small talk, a bunch of I just want to make you feel better because it's a really scary world out there and we all need a crutch to lean on. Yeah, we do. We need a savior to lean on. But I don't need a lie. And I don't need to be lied to. And this morning, I'm not here to try to lie to you guys. I'm not here to try to tell you, feel better, the world's real bad, but don't worry about it, it'll be okay. That's not what I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you, you have a God who overcame the evil of this world, who wasn't aloof to it, who entered into it, who soaked it up, who felt the very sufferings that we feel, who went through the very loss of his own son, who dealt with the very evils that we have dealt out. And in that evil, he absorbed it and lived in it and loved us still and proved it through a resurrection. Proved it by returning from the dead. The one event in history that if it wasn't here, we would still be roaming around in our various bands of, of tribes trying to kill each other for power. That's all Europe was prior to the gospel. That's all the Middle East was prior to the gospel. My friends, the, 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 the entire vision of the world was adjusted when this gospel came out. When the fact that Jesus loved us, died on the cross to bear our sins, to set us on the same playing field, to give us this gift, that shaped everything. Where would we be? It'd be so different. And since the resurrection overcame these human divisions, the resurrection overcame these human brokenness and sin, and it's ours to give away to people. You see, that overcomes fear. If you can't die because you're going to come back and you're not going to get judged by God, who's going to stop you? That's why the enemy's number one ploy is to make you scared. 
Because he knows if you don't have fear, then you're going to be on the mission. You see, the absence of fear brings us a purpose. It enables you to live that purpose. What Jesus does in verse 21, after he says, here is peace, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Do you hear that? If you take Las Vegas as an imagery of all of humanity, the rain of human terror has been pouring down on all of these people and Jesus decided not to stand back and go, man, I don't know why that's happening. That really stinks. I don't know what to do about that. No, instead what he did is he came in and he ran towards the fire. He came in to rescue everyone that he could because he runs towards the danger. The God of the Bible is not aloof to evil. He ran into it. He doesn't want them to keep the door locked. He's telling them, unlock the door, get out there. But it's dangerous. Of course it is. It's dangerous in here too. To assume because we're Christians there is no human evil dwelling in this room is a lie we need to dispel. It's also why when a church ceases to be evangelistic and to face the dangers and get out, we become warped and twisted. And we become a people who are bent on our Bible studies. We become a people that are bent on our own judgments. And we become a people who don't know how to converse with a culture any longer because we become inward and inbred and it's ugly. And Jesus says, I'm seeing you guys. You're in this room. All 10 of you. Go. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Get out there. And how did the Father send Jesus? He didn't send Jesus in this world where he came down. He's like, hey, what's happening? Oh my gosh, that guy's got leprosy. Run into the house and lock the door. He didn't walk along the street and go, Oh my gosh, that guy doesn't know home and he wants my money. Grab your wallets and get out of here. He didn't suddenly look at the rich and go, you guys are awesome. He said, no, use that for great purposes. He didn't look at the powerful and say, well, you guys are going to hurt me. He said, humble yourself before the sight of God who has true power. Jesus confronted the powers he called for greater things. He hugged the leper. He helped the poor. He was engaged in the sufferings of man. He never kept himself clean of them. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And you can't live the life of Christ. I can't live the life of Christ locked in a room. Imagine the church ignited on fire by the very presence of God who he will give us in a minute here to get out there, not to run from suffering, not to be afraid of human evil, but to know that he's overcome it through the cross. He's given us life beyond the grave that we can engage with his very presence. Every single hurting individual we can find, whether it's for bullet holes or from psychological wounds or from sufferings of labels in their past that we have been given to this city, to this town, to engage each person where they are, to love them, lift them, and care for them in their suffering. Oh, will that be a messy thing? Absolutely. Oh, will that be a painful thing? You better believe it. But he has called us to a greater purpose. He has called us to unlock the doors, to dispel the evil. For if God is for you, who can be against you? And so he empowers you and he empowers me. In fact, that's what he does. He's like, he's like a good boss. He says, hey, my presence is with you. It says, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, now I just have to pause here. That is weird. He breathes on them. It was like, ah, ah. 
Did he have stinky breath? I don't know. What does resurrection breath smell like? I don't know. But he, he, he purposely breathes on each person. I have a weird mind, sorry. And, and he does this on purpose because he wants to show that the Spirit of God does not just come from God, it comes from him. That all of us who walk with him, all of us in relationship with him, receive his Spirit from him. For what purpose? If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. In other words, to get out there and to do his ministry, you are never more close to God than when we are engaged in the world of his ministry and evangelism. When we are caring for people and lifting them up, when we are caring for the hurting and binding their wounds, when we are engaged, though the world may be dangerous, we put aside our own sides and we love them. That is the picture of the gospel. And that is what God has called every human being to. And we have the opportunity to take that message to everyone. You don't have to psychologize away human evil. You don't have to control it with every rule. And no, you don't have to keep locking yourself away. Yes, there is psychology. Yes, there are, good, there are good laws. And yes, there is a need for protections. But not at the level in which it keeps us from being those who engage in this world rightly. Because he has given you his presence and his spirit to do it. You see, some of us have stopped growing spiritually because we stopped engaging in his mission. See, when, when we're out there and we're engaged, it's the afterburners of spiritual growth. When people start asking you questions and you start going, uh, come to church on Sunday. When you start loving somebody that's messy, you're never more like Christ who starts to shape you because he loved the messy. He loved the hurting. He engaged in these ways. And so as he has sent us, like his father sent him, we need to live that way. He's empowered us to do so. But we have to unlock the doors. Imagine what could be done by one church that unlocked the doors. That when they saw the pain, when they saw the hurting of those from Las Vegas, those from the fires, those from wherever, we ran to them. We opened our homes to them. We prayed with them, regardless of what they thought. When we saw somebody who was needing Christ, we were willing to say it. No matter what it would cost in our reputation, no matter what it would look like to other people, we engaged. And I'm preaching to myself because I'm one of those guys who goes like, uh, uh, I'm an introvert. I've got a psychological reason not to do this. Oh, or am I just afraid? Well, I'm too busy. You know, I got lots of stuff to do. I got rules I got to follow at work. And I, oh, have I just produced boundaries? There's lots of excuses. But there should be no excuse for us to be the change agents that reach into this evil, broken world to bring about a resurrected Savior who transforms everything. Are you with me? Is it going to be easy? No way. That's why we got to do it. The world needs to see true courage in the midst of absolute fear. And they need to see true goodness in the face of pure evil. Let's be that goodness. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to encourage you this morning, if you have faced fear, 
and you have psychologized it away or whatever it is right now, God's been maybe working on your heart that, hey, I, I feel like I'm, I'm one of those people struggling with, with this fear thing. I want to give you a chance right now just to say, that's me, and I want to pray over us because that's me too. I'm just asking you, put your hand up. You're saying, this is just a way of confession this morning. I'm saying, I am Phil, I have fear. I, I, I'm locking the doors where I shouldn't. And God's getting on me for that. And so, Lord, I just I lift up those who've got their hands raised this morning. Maybe they have a figuratively raised in their hearts. Uh, maybe they have it physically raised with their actual hand. I just ask you to bless them with boldness. God, that you'd empower them with the knowledge that death cannot hold them back. That there is no judgment for them coming. You've given them everything that they need for life and godliness. Your very presence is with them to reach into this world and to care and to love for others and to lead them to know who you are and what you've done for them. God, help us to live that out. Awaken our church, I pray. Awaken our hearts. Awaken us to be people um, passionately pursuing the mission you've sent us on in the middle of a dangerous world because this world obviously needs it. And God, help us live that love and show that love. And God, to share your love. Maybe this morning I'm not talking to you and you're filled with fear, but maybe I have a different question for you. Maybe you're asking, contemplating all of the different things of evil to be afraid of. You know, there's evils on the internet. There's evils in, in the neighborhood homes. There's evils of thieves. There's evils of murderers. There's evils of all this different stuff we've discussed. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself this question. If I fear these different evils occurring to me, do you fear the evil in your own heart? Ask yourself that right now. Do you fear the evil in your own heart? Because it's the evil in your own heart that will weigh you down on the day of judgment. And God doesn't want anyone to perish on this earth without having dealt with that. He doesn't want you to die without knowing that you could have your death, this judgment dealt with. And so he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus bore that judgment and all that pain so that you could be forgiven of that evil and you could be given a freedom of shalom, of heaven. What's keeping you from that is simply receiving his gift. That's it. And so this morning, if you would like to receive that gift, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Just tell God right where you're at, God, I want to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. It's death on the cross. And I want to ask you to forgive me and give me the peace that you've promised. Help me have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.